0: Well, hello and welcome to my Dailarama's Top Picks podcast. I'm Abla Kanzelhaft, film programmer, journalist and researcher, with my co-host Coco Green, armchair critic and aspiring academic. In Top Picks, we discuss marginalisation, resistance and some of the isms in drama, documentary, mystery and independent films and series. Now, it's in 11th year My Die Champions independent film, and its use as a platform for underrepresented and often ignored voices. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at MyDialarama. And if you like what we do, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Short link is MyDie.link slash Apple or Spotify at mydie.link slash Spotify and support us with either a one-time or monthly donation at MyDie.link slash donate. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at MyDie.link slash subscribe. So, first of all, apologies this week. We've had some mic issues at my co-host's end, but these will be sorted by the next episode. The other announcement is we are maybe a month away from (laughs) finally having a jingle to add to the podcast and make it a more enjoyable listening experience. Lula Rich, shall I uh, read the synopsis? Sure. So... One thing before we start talking about Lula Rich, I think it's worth mentioning the fact that the clermont Ferrand International Film Festival is about to kick off in, well actually not quite yet, at the end of January, but we've started working with them again. So this is the fifth year we've been collaborating with the festival. Our role is as a sort of media partner. We interview all the filmmakers, we um, supervise the video content for those interviews And uh, we've been promoted this year to actually hosting Q&A. So as you know, I can't go this year, sadly, in person. But um, Elise will be there and she'll be hosting debates and so on. I'm delighted as well to say that the BFI Network has asked me to write an article about the festival and our partnership with them. Because it is the largest short film festival in the world. It's made the careers of many established filmmakers but it's still not as widely known as you'd think in the UK it doesn't actually get that much coverage so we always feel very very privileged to be covering it and what i love about it is the fact that it's um it's so open so it's very cheap to attend the filmmakers don't have to pay for submissions there's a real love of short the short film format of cinema in general and a real respect for it and you've got um loads of initiatives and partnerships with schools, with cultural centers, to get as many people involved as possible and people who not might not normally go to the cinema or might not show that much interest the rest of the year. They go in and they make notes and they go and ask the filmmakers questions. So it's a really lovely, lovely atmosphere. It's very, very open compared to a lot of festivals that tend to really be about the industry and only appeal to industry professionals and so on so i absolutely love going there and that's going to be on at the end of uh, january so we'll have more information about that now back to the main focus which is lula rich uh would you like me to do the synopsis yeah no yeah read the synopsis okay i can't find a decent one but basically so lula rich is an amazon prime documentary about the company Lululemon, which is a billion-dollar clothing empire that stands accused of misleading thousands of women with their MLM platform, so multi-level marketing platform. And uh, it exposes the way the company operates and the way that a lot of people have been completely conned into investing so much in participating in their scheme. You recommended watching it, right? No, you recommended watching it. And you knew about the company.
1: No, I knew about the company, but you recommended watching it, and you brought the documentary to my attention, and then we watched it.
0: Okay, fair enough. So in the U.S., it's an established company, right? Because I'd never heard of it here.
1: Yes, it is a big company, and it's funny because once the documentary came out, (laughs) um, I was talking to a friend about it, and she said that she'd been invited to a party before, and she just thought, What ugly leggings? Why would I want that? And it's interesting because once they showed the beginnings of it, when they just had the black and the basic colors, I thought, Oh, I would buy that with the patterns. I don't think I quite got it. So it's certainly a cultural phenomenon. That's
0: what they're famous for. They're really garish, bright.
1: But I don't think people think they're good. And, gay- and it is something about. Uh, and one of the talking heads said this, that it was really the convergence of lots of different things where it became acceptable to run around in casual wear. I don't know if you watch SNL and I don't. I just occasionally receive clips and there was one.
0: Yes, yeah, same the highlights.
1: Yes. And there was one from where who's the one? Uh, Tina Fey. She did this whole thing about how she runs around in workout gear and she was making, you know, it was, the joke was around I, mean, I wouldn't don't want say just stay at home mom but just the look for 20 and 30 somethings you're not working out but you're running around and <laughs> that's what if where how that became a thing and without that <laughs> LuLaRoe couldn't have happened because there was that demand for yeah. all these different kinds of leggings which wasn't there before because we certainly weren't running around in leggings 10 no. years ago were we no surely not
0: did it come about when everyone started doing yoga
1: well, you know, I can't say. But then no, because the joke was that you're not working out. So, I mean, I suppose, yeah, if you wanted to wear your workout gear around town before you went to work out, that could have been a thing. Yeah, that's the idea. But, I mean, you're really into boot camps. Did you ever do that? Run around in your workout pose before you went to boot camp? Although I guess it was quite early. So that wouldn't have happened.
0: I wasn't doing boot boot camp. I only started doing it when COVID hit and I couldn't leave the house to go to the true. gym.
1: I can't even believe you said that. That is not true. I distinctly remember you inviting me to boot camp because you used to go. What are you saying? Yes, boot camp. I have never been to an
0: actual boot camp. Oh, God. Yes, I forgot. No, that's true. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow, you've got a very good memory. Yes, yes. Um, how
1: could I forget the shame? You don't want to come. It's like I thought to myself, did I want to go last week or the week before or the week before or the week before? But the joke's on me because now I can't fit my clothes and you were looking fantastic. So mm, who, who was the real I think boot
0: camp was a very generous term for it. I was the youngest one there by about 20 years.
1: Hey, I think that's what middle aged people should be doing. This is how you stay independent. Pro tip, everybody read the Delaney sister stories. Pilates every morning at 102 and 103 or 101 and 103. Pro tip. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And that's how they remember, stayed independent. Yeah, I, because they could <laughs> walk around and cook. Well, seriously, I mean, for in terms of older people, and I'm not putting anybody down, but that's part of the issue. That's why you need the assistance, because you don't have the movement. It's hard for you to wash your hair. It's hard for you to get in the shower and wash dishes, the, the basic thing, even if your faculties are still there. That's why the flexibility and mobility oh, yeah. is crucial. So, yeah, the joke's going to be on me again if I can't get my life together. With that said, it does. Now, now I know you just were only inviting me because you thought, for the love of God, don't shut the class down for lack of attendance. So, you needed to get more people on board, which ties into the MLM because it is all built on networks and also what they really... Well, let's talk about an overview of what LuLaRoe is first, and you might need to then kind of rearrange this post-production. But giving an introduction, so you read the synopsis. So to give a brief overview of the company, like LuLaRoe is an MLM. So they've been accused of being a pyramid scheme, but the heads of LuLaRoe, of course, deny this, and they stick by that they are changing minds providing opportunities, allowing people to be their own boss and start their own business. And, of course, there's all these things going on behind the scenes because the company is also a family company. Now, I don't know how relevant it is that they are Mormons, although I think they should have touched on that more because there are elements of Mormonism that are in some ways like Calvinist in terms of the expectations for financial success and if that's a reflection of your faith or commitment or God's blessing, that kind of thing. But they brought all their family Mm -hmm. into the business. And it is about the question, did they grow too fast? Did they grow too much? What are the intentions behind it? But focusing more so on the experience of, do we call them independent business owners? I don't even know what we call the participants in Lulu Because They're certainly not workers, even though they are workers. Yeah. But they're called independent distributors. What do they call themselves? Independent distributors. Although I think the firm and the distributors refer to themselves as fashion consultants. (laughs) So it is a MLM, but the model is certainly focused on people using their social media and social networks to sell. So that's why it's somewhat different from the older models that people are used to, which is pampered chef. I don't know. Did you ever have that one in the UK? What's it called? Pampered chef. Mm -hmm. No, (laughs) no, Well, Pampered Chef was fun because what you do is you invite people over teaching them how to make things with your cookware. And to me, even though it wasn't MLM, there was an element of fun in that because it's like I like test kitchens and I like this idea that you can consolidate what you have in your kitchen and learn how to make all these quick, fast recipes. You know, cook from home. So you save money that way. It's better than eating out. All right. The problem, though, becomes when the invitation, you don't explain that to people, right, I'm doing this to sell you things, even though that underlies it. You say, who wants to come to a cooking party? The the same way Lula Road does, right, we're having a party, we're having a good time. So you get there, you prepare the stuff, and then that's when they sell you the Pampered Chef stuff. Now, just like the other MLMs that we've discussed previously, the products are fine, it's just they're highly marked up. So it's always going to be the question, why should someone buy that and they can buy the same product cheaper elsewhere? which is where you come in to talk about all the money you're making selling this. So this won't be like if you go to a high end retailer to sell La Crusette. No, no, no. This way you're the front person. You keep all the profits. You decide how successful you're going to be. Now I did have an aunt who sold Pampered Chef, but that's because when you start out as part of your kit, it was some promotion they had where you got something for free. So, she was going to break even in terms of the money she put in but the cookware she got. So she kitted out <laughs> her kitchen with the pampered chef, and she immediately lost interest. I don't even think I got invited to a party. If anything, the only thing she talked about this was a ice cream scoop she got because what it was was you would hold the ice cream sh- scoop, you know, as a normal one, and shake it in your hand. And then it would be warm so that it would be ready to scoop out ice cream. So You didn't have to sit the ice cream out
0: uh yeah i know i know the type yeah those are so fun so
1: she was most excited about Uh, that but never offered to sell me one even though she was officially an independent distributor all of that to say (laughs) given the nature of mlms right which is that if you don't get in early you're not going to make money this is where a lot of the problems arise and then of course the tactics to keep people involved
0: and that's where, the, and the difference with pyramid schemes, right? No,
1: no, that's not the difference with pyramid
0: schemes. Am I right in saying that the difference between the two is one has actual products that they're selling, the other one is selling air. It's not selling anything tangible. Exactly. Okay, and that's when, but then that the line is blurred when the quality of the products they're selling starts to slip massively, so they might as well be selling nothing really.
1: Well, no, the line is blurred because you make the money from recruiting people. You can't make actual money by selling the product. So it's just like the work that you would put into selling products would not be worth your time. But what is worth your time is recruiting other people. So that's But that's why they're not shut down, because you do actually sell the leggings. And theoretically, I suppose you could sell 100 or however many would be required for you to make the money that they're promising. But in practice one friend will buy one pair of leggings from you because she's your friend (laughs) she's not going to build your business and tell all her friends to buy these fantastic leggings
0: that was my main point i couldn't believe how many people actually bought the leggings and i and i said this to you i thought i said is this an american thing because i can't imagine you here flogging leggings to your maximum you'll you'll sell two you'll sell two or three to friends who just want to help you out you cannot sell hundreds of leggings whatever they look like.
1: But see, they didn't. That's just it. I mean, I know they there were some people, and I think they were outliers, who told their story of selling out of their stock. But that wasn't typical because most people, what happens, they would buy all this stock and they couldn't offload it, which is why they came into problems later when they said, oh, well, you can return it. And pe- that was what was keeping people in debt because they had all that inventory. And that's a common thing in MLMs is you're called inventory rich because on paper you bought all mm-hmm. this product. And what the assumption is, oh, you bought all this product and sold all your products, but no, you bought all the product and now you're storing it away. As in how to be, what was it, how to be a god in Southern Florida? Yeah. That was what her husband was doing. Once she went to the woman who she had met his old school teacher, she's like, do you want your order? She's like, no, I don't have an order. I, or she bought something very tiny. She said, no, he, he uses my backyard to store his stuff. And she had no idea that stock was even there, but that's the reality. So what is in reality is people have all this stock in their garage, but what's on paper is people have bought all of this from us to sell on as independent distributors. So that's why they yeah. quickly had to get rid of that program because there's no way they could take all that inventory back. Cause then what were they going to do it? Then that would mean no sales for LuLaRoe. But there were some people who are making money, but ultimately they're making money because they got in early and they have many, many independent distributors under them.
0: Yeah. I'm still impressed that they went anywhere, though.
1: (laughs) You mean because of the way that... Well, in the early days, that was interesting. The woman was saying how comfortable they were. Like, wow, I've never had a pair of leggings like this and it seems like only later. Uh, and, And I don't know how widespread that was because the documentary and others that have talked about this weren't clear about how many people were experiencing the quality issues. Like, was it 10 percent? Was it 5 percent? That was never clear because it, it wasn't enough of a problem where, I mean, even though their numbers were a fraction of what they were, they're still higher than they were at their, um, you know, their sort of big when they were growing, growing, growing their momentum yeah. point. Yeah.
0: And, you know, people that have been involved in, 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 pir- in, in, well, MLM? in MLMs, yeah, but in LuLaRoe as yeah. well,
1: right? No, no okay no i do not and the thing about mlms too is these are very white things and it's because they build on social networks so because we're so segregated in society your average white person doesn't have black friends anyway so that isn't something you find as much within black people in the u.s and then also we're very poor because you saw the entry point to get into blue i was gonna say yeah do you need a minimum you you need
0: capital right to at least buy the stock
1: or somewhere to get it, yeah. Um, and yeah, so you don't find as many black people in these things, but no people who I know, even though, yeah, my aunt sold Pampered Chef, but then again, sold really just to get a discount on the Pampered Chef. She had no intention, like I said, she never tried to sell me anything as much fun as we have with that ice cream cube. How hard would it have been for her to say, Do you want one? No, never came out of her mouth, never suggested it. So, but my friend did go to a little party, and she thought, Yeah, they were. Like, I don't want that. But there's other things I've been invited to from Black women. So I, I'm not being totally honest there. But the other kind of MLMs where you do the uh, sex, why am I saying a sex party? The sex toy party. <laughs> what am I saying? Yeah, where they sell like the pleasure parties. That's what they're called. So I have been invited to multiple of those. But oh. to me, that also seems a bit weird. I just don't think that's something that should be done in a group. Something's off about that to me. I think I'm too prudish. That's the thing. I'm very modest prudish so i'm just like i'm not gonna sit with my friends and do that yeah
0: i don't i don't imagine people use the toys right no okay no they're just looking at them and talking highly unhygienic
1: (laughs) well there'd be a way to make that hygienic but i wouldn't want to be in that party that's what i'm saying it isn't a sex party it is a pleasure party where you're looking at the products and talking about how to use them but even those have its limits because, again, that's not something that you're going to buy every month. You're going to buy it, and that, that'll be it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, maybe you'll buy it a couple times a year, but you won't be, I hope, every month. Unless you're in the industry, in which case you would need a high turnover because you need to use those toys with multiple clients or something. But how many people are that, right? That's not enough to support a business.
0: Yeah, exactly. But that's the weirdest thing about MLMs is the products they sell tend to be products that you do not use really on a daily basis, that you don't need that much of. So I don't understand who's buying all this stuff.
1: Well, in the case of Amway, right, which I think the the company that was there now i can't remember we're gonna have to look that up hang on because <laughs> i th- i thought it was um i can't believe as many episodes of that as i watched and i was telling my friend about was so like you have to watch that series i just sent it to her a few days ago i'm just looking at the guy who played cody he was he so was funny. excellent um okay yes yeah. so in the series that we reviewed before on becoming a god in central florida from 2019 the company that they had, the fictional one, was called FAM, Founders American Merchandise. And this was a play on yeah. Amway. Ah, right. So as you may remember, they sold everyday household items, but that was a the problem. They were so expensive. That's the question. I could buy paper towels from you, but why would I? Because I could just <laughs> do that in my regular grocery shop. So that's the thing. All these things are possible, theoretically,
0: mm.
1: but how can you make them happen in a practical yeah. sense? Because people do buy things more expensive, right? People shop at Whole Foods when they could shop at. Tesco.
0: Yeah, but there's a reason for that. They, for example, the the appeal of a brand that they feel is maybe healthier, organic, fair trade, etc. They will pay, yeah, they will pay premium for that. I don't understand what people gain from the way stuff is sold via MLMs. Is it just not because leaving the house? It's that
1: same principle. Like I have wow, you know, now I'm naming several black people who do MLM stuff, but it still doesn't take away from my point. They are <laughs> so overwhelmingly disproportionately white. Um, so I do have a friend who sells an MLM and it is, it is an MLM and it is selling these sort of health things, which is, because that's what reminded me of it based on what you said. they're pay- She's asking you to pay a premium because it is organic, healthy. People are losing weight on it, feeling better, that sort of thing. And it's really because you're not eating junk food, right? So you don't need those products per se, but it doesn't mean that people wouldn't pay for them. But the rub is even with that product, Uh right? With any health supplement, there's a spectrum of how much you can pay for the supplement, depending on what you think is worth paying for. So that's why an MLM could work, but it doesn't because we all know that most businesses fail. And that's if you had a real business, not an independent, yeah. Worker be uh, taking on all the risk. But even if you have a real business, high failure rate, and you can't even scale. I mean, it, so that's why it fails and it doesn't work. So there's compounding issues of why MLMs can only survive and thrive by recruiting people because you need people to buy into it. And you need to make a profit from what other people are doing. Yeah. Yeah. But the product, so this particular MLM that my friend is in, They see my good products and she sent me samples, (laughs) but you know, I'm cheap and I also have random allergies. So I'm just like, I can't mess around with whatever might be in this. Like I found one vitamin that I don't have an adverse reaction to honestly, just one. And it's, and it's just because we have these sort of random allergies in my family. With that said though, who knows? She might be successful if she's able to use herself as a model for how she's been able to, I don't want to say transform because she was, you know, always, you know, she always looked great, but, you know, she certainly has Mm -hmm. lost a significant amount of weight and she's glowing and has luxury bags (laughs) in her social media to signal. I can afford this because I do this MLM. So who knows where she may go with it? Because even in Lula, Lula rich, we did see people who came on board later and were highly successful in it in terms of recruiting lots of people and selling leggings that's it so how did they do that that's well let's not forget also well let's not forget also right in on becoming a god in central florida that is why the neighbor wanted to tap into the burgeoning latin latin x community that was coming because you need a whole new market of people so, for all we know, she tapped into a group of people who did not have access, didn't know anyone selling the leggings. So, she was able to tap into a whole new market of people. Like, that's also possible because mm-hmm. when that was the issue that came up, too, people were saying, I was doing fine in my town until four more people in my town started selling it, and that won't work. So, it has to do with where you are, who you're going to market to. There's factors involved. Yeah. The question becomes the woman who came in later was highly successful can she create another version of her and i would think not and that's that's the key like how many of them created someone like them to reach their the income they were getting yeah but they already tell you the numbers like for all mlms they show you the tiny you know the 0.1 percent of people who even make enough to live on you know
0: well i was surprised there was even one percent to be honest and that made it appear point, point
1: one point one oh, okay. so what wow.
0: were you saying um, what did you make of the couple's um, participation in the documentary they seem to be quite willing willing to share their story
1: well we only saw a couple of people who shared their stories who were doing well and everyone else had been jilted and you know how that is it's almost like that I don't know if you've heard about that famous retail line that if a customer has a good experience they tell like seven people and someone has a bad experience they tell a hundred <laughs> i chalked it up to that and that's what i was thinking too like if you were doing well would you be talking about this no you wouldn't be bothered i was still interested in their story the the
0: founders the founders were happy to take part in the documentary
1: because i think they're still running their business so you know this is pr they're just like let's have an opportunity to tell our side of the story and show what a fantastic family we have even though those siblings married each other look I get they weren't raised together, but mm, uh, <laughs> I still think with all the people in the world, is that necessary? Well, they're Seriously. Mormon's the
0: pool's going to not isn't going to be very wide.
1: People convert, so that is true what you're saying. But I don't think there's enough Mormons. <laughs> you're right; there aren't as many. You may do non-Mormon Christians. I still think, is that the route you want to go? Well, but they did and no one seems to care. But I thought that was weird. So, yeah, I think they're proud of what they've achieved. And let's not forget their business is still up and running. So they still want to recruit people. So I think that was a PR move on their part. What do you think?
0: I'm conflicted because it was selling it to me.
1: What do you mean? Say more. Okay.
0: Well, my first reaction was that I could see the appeal. I honestly thought the documentary would basically illustrate the fact that it's A scam from start to finish and there is no positive to be taken from it but actually quite a lot of people made quite a lot of money so I can definitely see the appeal I think it did it didn't do the company such a disservice I think a lot of it was fairly positive so I'm conflicted as to the documentary I think towards the end you see the price that people end up paying but for quite a lot of it you have you have a good percentage of people that have made decent money selling bullshit and selling these leggings
1: well see i'm gonna push back there because you you didn't you had the 0.1 percent and the rest of it was keeping people believing they could be one of those people because the people they never said they made not everyone made money on that Mm -hmm. right so it was people because that was something that one of the distributors talked about that a lot of the time was spent brainstorming with people because they're like what am I doing wrong I'm not making money I'm doing everything you said it's not working that's the vast majority yeah but the documentary didn't didn't show this this. no they didn't they talked they talked about them you're right they didn't ever interview those people but that's the based on what the numbers we have in terms of who makes money in MLMs, we know that's the vast majority. That now we're talking about 99% of the people that was their experience, where they bought in, I'm doing everything you say, I'm not making any money. Yeah. What am I doing wrong? Which is why they have to have all of that the calls to. Okay, no, you need to do this. You need to do that. We're gonna bring someone on the call who's doing great. Listen to what she says. Follow what she's doing. And they have to have these annual conferences that you need to pay to come to, that you have to attend to keep you hyped up and believing in it. Yeah, because they're not being successful, that you believe. And really, that's a reflection of our society, is it not? Where we know there's no upward mobility, and yet we are quick to hit the theaters whenever there is an underdog story, someone who you know, small town girl makes good that kind yeah. of thing we absolutely believe like, and that's the bizarre thing like we have all the evidence that there is a meritocracy and yet we still behave as if it is so i can see how it's easy for people to fall into that because is that not what we do on a broader scale in everyday life is play as if there is you know we do our annual reviews at work to get a raise so we can get a promotion knowing full well like there isn't all of us can't be promoted so how are they going to make the cutoff even if we're all competent in doing our jobs generally Seriously, though, so how much of a leap is it then to then be part of a group where your bank statement tells you you're losing money, but someone's telling you in a group of women and you like the camaraderie, the positive side, you like the camaraderie and the, what you think mm-hmm. is friendship. And they're all telling you, no, you can do it. I believe in you. Everyone who's telling you to stop because yeah. you would have no money, they just don't believe in you. They don't share your vision. They don't share your dream. I know that you you know how to hustle. <laughs> and we're gonna do it together. That's very appealing. And I see how you can be pulled in and until you're ten K deep and your husband's <laughs> breathing down yeah. your neck. It was all strategizing, helping people to see that they need to stay in this. You and And the target they were saying too are people who need the money for their household, but can't afford to work outside the home because they have children, right? And it wouldn't be worth it because it might be more to pay for daycare. So they need to work. And this seems to tick all the boxes, you can work from home, you can throw parties with your friends, it sells itself. And once you build your business, then your husband can be involved in your business. And I think that's appealing, too. I used to think about that at one point. Like, wouldn't that be nice if you could be mm-hmm. a family who had a yeah business together and you guys work together? <laughs> and that seems fun. <laughs> Does it not? You don't think you want a business with Chris? No. Yes. I wrong, no, I, I agree. So there was so much there that kept you. You know, we're going to have to do something, find a documentary on prosperity gospel, because I feel like those same elements are there. There is, I think, so much in modern life because of the way all the risk has been privatized that we aren't able to invest in building up our family relationships, building up community. And when that gets yeah. offered to you, it's like a need you didn't even know you had until you get involved with it. And you feel like you're around all these people who genuinely care about you and you're doing something together that's going to benefit your family. Oh, you, mean, know, it's not, it's you
0: know, it's not a term I'd ever heard of before you mentioned it. Which one? Uh, Prosperity Gospel.
1: Oh, well, I'm a Christian and I was a churchgoer for many years, so. Well, in
0: your own words, how would you, how would you define it?
1: How would I define Prosperity Gospel? Oh, it's the belief that if you, your faith and your works will be rewarded rewarded financially from God, through a financial blessing from God.
0: Isn't it the essence of, I guess, most of the anglican religions really like calvinism and
1: well see it could be i'm baptist so for us no that's not how we see it but you for calvinists i believe that's um calvinism yes so there are other protestants as well who believe that and it's an extension of that so that's why even prosper even though prosperity gospel is new it's built on that very you know the that tradition from the 16th century isn't it yeah that belief which is why i think it resonates with people but it's so not a course, negative saying, saying is it it's not know, a... it's it should be negative it's not seen as negative but i think it absolutely should i mean if you just read the gospel and we talked about that actually i think in the early days of the podcast when i brought up a documentary i saw on netflix that was about the gospel and people speaking against prosperity gospel because i think if you read the gospel jesus is very clear that there's no financial reward for following god ah uh, is That's it explicitly financial
0: It's not like you go to heaven or you'll be blessed. Prosperity gospel
1: specifically, no, when they say prosperity, they don't mean emotionally prosperous, which I think we'd all like. We want people to have a fulfilling life. Um, No, they mean prosperity, like dollars you can count.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. It's very mercantile.
1: It's very capitalist. It's very scary. It's almost like trying to make capitalism Christian. That's like what it is. And I think it is very, it's blasphemous, though. I think it's blasphemous in a lot of ways because you you can't back that up with the Bible. Of course, you can, there are stories in the Bible and figures who were wealthy,
0: yeah,
1: right? And there was the, in the Old Testament, especially when you talk about Moses and the descendants and God talking about the covenant, it is about growing their numbers, growing their wealth, growing their land. That's there. But that's not the gospel of Jesus. That's Old Testament. But that's Old Testament. That's not, that's not the gospel. Because the gospel, of course, you have a rich no, man. No, but the, that's says, what the
0: Protestant ethic well, Yeah, is. that's
1: something different. But if we're talking about the gospel, then the gospel certainly is, you know, the, there's a story of a rich man asked Jesus, like, what's the, you know, the commandment And it's love thy neighbor as thyself. I do that. Yeah. What should I do? He's like, sell everything, give it to the poor, follow me. No dice. Yeah. That, that's the essence of what Jesus asked. You can't be worried about material wealth, God. And there's other parables too that Jesus tells, like, look, a bird doesn't have to worry about where it's going to live, what it's going to eat. God provides, and you, God cares more about you than a bird. So why are you caring about what you, how you're going to provide? We don't talk about that in church <laughs> because that is very difficult. Like that's extremely challenging to say, I'm going to totally rely on faith for God to provide mm-hmm. me. I mean, we would take your children away if you had that attitude. Mm-mm. <laughs> So it becomes like you're saying with the Protestant ethics and how does it fit into that? And I think that was something that was neglected by this documentary because of course not everyone in there was Mormon, but that Protestant ethic that you're talking about is strong in American culture. Yeah. So it means one thing to Mormons and certainly the other Protestants in general, that's certainly going to resonate that idea that God wants you to be prosperous and the element of that too, because. There is the cultural practice of tithing when you give 10% of your growth, not net. Right. Look, you make more money, you can bless other people with that money. You're not going to keep it all for yourself, you're going to give 10% back. So what's good for society is for you to be wealthy and prosperous.
0: As you were speaking, I'd forgotten that they were Mormons. That's not an element that I remembered from the documentary.
1: What? Yeah, they talked about it. One of the people um, talked about it because he was quoting, comparing himself, yeah, he was comparing himself to the founder. Of, and that that is, wow, that's a bit, that was a bit much. I don't know if Mormons are allowed to do that. I wanted to look that up. Like, are they allowed to say that? <laughs> I don't think so, but I don't know.
0: And they're still going. That's the surprising thing.
1: But they're being sued, and that's just where they left it. And I also wish, too, they would have spoken more to legal scholars so we get an understanding of what it is the lawsuits are about and which ones have teeth and which ones don't because mm-hmm. you know anyone can bring you can bring a lawsuit it doesn't mean that it's going anywhere or it will
0: yeah that wasn't made clear it wasn't made clear basically what exactly they did that had broken the law
1: well they did talk about it with the case in washington and i believe that had to do with what we've already mm-hmm. covered that you really make the money by recruiting people yeah. And that was the issue and then of course you have to have transparency you can't promise people that they're going to make this money when statistically you know that that's near impossible do they have to give the numbers because we don't get that when we get jobs lord knows yes there's opportunities for advancement no one defines what opportunity is no one defines what advancement means (laughs) that's the truth am i wrong (laughs) so as, as evil as i think mlms are to be fair, is is that not how we do business around here? Keep you dreaming, keep you coming back, keep you in that mortgage, so you keep coming. <laughs> Don't come, opt out. Well, what did you think? Because I did, <laughs> I did think it was pretty, um, pretty funny. the The founders, I thought they were certainly characters in terms of being interesting people. I mean, I wasn't sure why everyone—well, not everyone—but there was was it one or two mm-hmm. of the documentary participants who talked about how she had that weight loss group and how she was wanted the sellers to have a certain image she's <laughs> like well i think a lot of businesses have that they just won't hire you at least she <laughs> at least she brought you on and said don't worry you can change once you're involved <laughs> But I think that's also a standard business practice where you, if you want people representing your company, you want them to have, especially in the U.S., as much you know racial discrimination there is. You want people to have a certain look. My aunt Mm -hmm. was telling me one time because she went to business school, and that she had a friend who wanted to be a consultant, but she's like, he was short. He was never going to get a job as a consultant. Yeah, and it had nothing to do with his ability. But no, no one was going to hire him, and he didn't get one. Stanford MBA can't be a consultant because you're too short <laughs> a white man I want us to think about that she's she's doing business as usual and she understands that she doesn't want to pay for PR she wants you to market it and if you're going to market yeah. it she's like you better look like a model <laughs> which which makes sense yeah it does make sense and of course I think I don't agree with that I'm just saying I think that's a standard, <laughs> standard thing that we do yeah <laughs> Yeah. And it was a, uh, yeah, but I didn't think she looked that great. So I did almost think to myself, mm, this is what happens when you do those, <laughs> you know, prescription pills. It ages you. Not a good look. That's the side people don't think it's like, and then this goes to everyone else too. We're all having fun partying. It'll take a toll on that face. Let's keep that money maker alive. Given what you know, we all have another, you know, 25 years of work. So let's look alive. But she did look great after she had that surgery, I must say. But I do think that part is, the part to me that was dodgy about it was, and, I, and I'm not saying anything about the ability of Mexican doctors, but it's just if something goes wrong, now you're hundreds of miles away. It's like you want to go back for all those false appointments. Wouldn't it be better to have a doctor that you can get to in yeah. an emergency? That's all. Even though I know it's it's low risk, but, you know, it's, it's only low risk until it happens to you. <laughs> you don't care how many people it happened to you want help. And it could be very expensive. Help with your doctors overseas. Yeah, exactly. So that part was to me irresponsible of her. Like, why would she go to Mexico? Especially being in California, there's great plastic surgeons there. Even in Florida, there's great. But like, why would you? I mean, she's near L. A. So that was bizarre. Cheapy. Cost. How can you make all that money? M- m- hundreds of millions and yeah, still that's cheap. True. Yeah. It's a shame. She can't even pay for that. And really, that could have been a benefit. So you want to give them all these bonuses and tell them to buy these designer handbags? Why don't you pay for them to have gastric? She's horrible. And also, I think what was appealing was her rags to riches story. Even though I frankly want numbers on that because I don't believe what she was saying. Oh, I couldn't afford to feed my kids. I don't believe that. It's
0: possible. You see, that's it. That's that key moment that I don't, I'm not clear on and I want it to be explained better. How did they get from this to just basic selling, basic manufacture and selling of leggings? Surely, you need a start a startup fund. You need the material. You need the workforce. You need stuff, and you need the the buyers. It just feels like you they skipped from rags to yeah. Well, basically, they they skipped the whole bit between rags and riches.
1: <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I need to know who you sold, out, who you exploited, who did you chain to, a sewing machine in a dark (laughs) factory in L.A. That's exactly it. Yeah, there's a sweatshop somewhere with your name on it, and I want to know where it is and who worked there. Yeah, because you couldn't produce that amount of garments. No, and she may have sold one for her daughter. Yeah, she may have sold one to her daughter, maybe. Not sold one, I mean made one for her daughter. But who knows, sold one, this family seems a little cutthroat. (laughs) Yeah, but she certainly, when she had all of those skirts, yeah, no way. And like you said, that production was totally hidden. And then it only came in again where they wanted to show the model of how she went from her business to bringing her husband in, where he started talking about, oh yeah, and then I started getting the fabric manufactured and this and that. And he also didn't tell how much he was making at his job he left and how much he made. Like, no one talks turkey. Yeah, Yeah. So we never understand the bottom line. Even the
0: I was gonna say, was the she an artist yet? or graphic
1: designer who made the patterns? We don't know how much she made. Yeah, we don't even know how much she made. I mean, I was guessing it was good money, but I don't know. No, and was she on her own, just coming up yeah. with these designs? Yeah, that's what she was, and she gave the strategy of googling things and ch- changing the image slightly so you don't get into trouble. I mean, and just thinking about the output she was talking about, she seems extremely creative because I'm thinking I. I think I struggled to do three or four a day. I mean, I'm not an artist, of course, but I just think, wow. And she was producing, yeah. what you say, 20 a day? Something crazy. I mean, that many patterns a day? And you're working. We all know she's not just doing that alone. She has other aspects to her job, I'm sure. Wow, just a powerhouse of creativity, honestly, that they must have tapped into to get all those patterns, even though, as you said, I thought many of them were garish. Nevertheless, it's still creative to come up with yeah. it and get people that, you know, people bought it, a lot of it. So. It's just
0: that we don't know who made
1: them. Yeah. But they also didn't explain that, too. Why in the business model was it necessary to have so many different patterns? Why Why did you need to do that? I didn't for get that the uniqueness quite. of each garment,
0: so that you could arguably charge a markup for but it. But
1: people buy... Well, if you, if you think about other leggings, because they were saying the leggings were, what, like $35? That is actually cheap-ish. Um, so I don't know if you needed a million No, I guess patterns. it's the appeal of it.
0: You know, like the collector's item side to it. Like, oh, I've got... This specific pattern, and I need to complete the set. Or something.
1: <laughs> like Beanie Babies, <laughs> but see, this is a problem. It's like Beanie Babies in that sense, and it's, it's like it's only worth something until people are willing to pay for it. And when people decide they don't want a million patterns anymore, then what do you do? It goes back down. It well, it just goes back. It goes back. It's like a false, um, false market. Not a false market, but a uh, yeah. I guess it is a what it's called. Like same with the uh, the tulips. Anyway, so. It is one to watch. To kind of uh,
0: round it up, where do you think we are with MLMs? I feel like they've peaked. They were very fashionable, and now they're either morphing into something else, or they've been rumbled. The system's been rumbled way too much, and it's just not a thing anymore. You don't think so?
1: What? Oh no! I mean, I've not looked at the re. No, and I've not looked at the research <laughs> on this. So part of me is reluctant to say because I think. I should have some report on MLM. I am, my response, though, is thinking about the state of the economy and the trend of the hollowing out of the middle class. I think there is more of a drive for people to attain that lifestyle and not understanding the economics behind of how Mm -hmm. profit is pulled up and it's not shared, which is why they're making less money, cost of living is going down. But instead of looking that way, they'll just say, no, it's my lack of hustle and be drawn to MLMs who promise that it's a meritocracy, that you will be rewarded for your hard work. And I think that's the deal. And I think it will continue to thrive for that reason alone. And it works too, because when it doesn't work for you, it's self-blame similar to other systems years ago. I was an education minor and it was really looking at the sociology of education. And that's, something that happens in u.s education that if you ask people who did not do well in school or people who dropped out of college and they didn't want to they'll always blame themselves i even had an interview with someone i'm trying to find a way to say it so that it would be clear well let's just say i spoke to someone who was an academic and they even talked about this whole thing about self-blame and how Mm -hmm. they didn't feel like they belonged and just that whole that's part of that thought that you self-blame and mlms are effective in that way when it doesn't work it's your fault and even the in the interview the founder said that too it's like why well, should we be blamed because you don't you know do what we say and you don't know how to follow the model because clearly it works so that's what they have locked into the it.
0: image i had of the t- types of people that participated in M- mlms now again this is probably based on more the uk and france to a certain extent was um stay-at-home mums and generally women not men on an average income or that weren't desperate for money that was the crowd i thought was attracted by mlms whereas the gen people that that need to make ends meet and looking for side hustles would increasingly go down the precarious labor route of you know uber driving and so on so is it different in the u.s
1: Well, I think it is similar to that, which is why Uber won't go anywhere because people need that extra income. So, no, I think that, like you are saying, it draws a demographic, but it's still that same demographic of people who are making less than they should. They aren't making enough to make ends meet. So I think even stay-at-home moms, you can still be part of that if your family actually, you know, one person's income isn't really enough to support the family of three plus. You are hard up. But I, I agree with what you're saying in the sense that they would be drawn to an MLM versus Ubers because they need to be at home. They don't yeah. want, they can't be out driving because that's they're really watching point, children. Yeah. So that's why this would appeal to them because they can work from home. But just like other work from home things, this MLM is just one example of that. But we've all heard, well, maybe we haven't all. There's also stories of people, and this is more something mm-hmm. you see with migrant families where they take in, they don't go to a sweatshop, but the sweatshop comes to them and that they do the piecework at home. So it is part of that work from home market. Of course, that's a much, much lower paid thing, but then maybe not because they're not going into debt, whereas the MLMs are going into debt, in which case it's less than making peanuts. But at any rate, you wouldn't do that, right? You're not going to take in piecework if you're a white woman with children at home in middle America, but you will do something like this. And it is about that, like the type of work that will appeal to you. But it is an interesting question thinking about the type of people who are involved in Uber. Like what does Uber say where you see that as, okay, this is the job for me? It's an interesting question. And I think the the elements of the sisterhood, we see the videos mm-hmm. from their annual conferences and a person who's going to recruit you is perhaps someone who's aspirational in terms of her appearance, maybe same shares the same background as you also a mom wanting to look to kind of work so yeah that was how something is seen as your kind of work and your kind of people who you want to be with yeah, in I
0: thought of that. great well anything else to
1: add just watch it i think it is certainly like a lot of mlm stuff and one thing i will say though just to your point too i i do think that there is pushback because many things that i understand about M L M is because of the anti-mlm youtubers so I think that's, so there is that, but I'm not sure how strong that is against, uh-huh. so who's watching that? People like me are watching that. If you're trusting your friend who's bringing you to an MLM, I'm not so sure. And as someone who's known people in MLMs, they don't, speaking statistics mean <laughs> nothing to them. Yeah. It's very difficult to talk people out of MLMs, which is why we were aligning it to cults in previous discussions. So, yeah.
0: Well, that was all we had time for this week. I hope this has been an interesting conversation around the many pitfalls of MLMs and pyramid schemes, a subject we tend to talk about quite a lot on this podcast. Of course, if you've got any comments and feedback or even recommendations of things you'd like us to talk about or watch, you can tweet us at MyDialorama or contact us via our Facebook page, MyDialorama or our website, uk. Keep an eye out for loads of interviews from the International Clarmont-Ferrand Film Festival. And until next time, thank you for listening.